when I go to CES, there are loads of really interesting products, none of which have distributors in the U.S. necessarily. So that's I think that's an area where like maybe retailers and e-commerce, anyone in e-commerce can help connect the dots. Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry-leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes. In this episode of the Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights podcast, Mike Jackness of Ecom Crew speaks with Tom Similian of Dealerscope all about the latest trends in consumer electronics. Hi, I'm Mike Jackness, and I'm excited to be hosting this edition of the Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights podcast. You can also find me over at Ecom Crew. Got a podcast over there we've been doing for almost 500 episodes. I'm also a, kind of an industry expert in sourcing and uh, doing this e-commerce thing for quite a while, almost seven years in the hot and cold pack industry, the stuffed animal uh, niche, tactical products, and also knitting. And today I'm so excited that Alibaba.com invited me to come do this podcast because we have an awesome guest. Tom is an industry expert in some of these technology products. And while I'm not someone who sources technology stuff myself, I am a tech nerd and I was reading over all the different things we're going to be talking about today. And I'm super excited about that. Tom, with that said, welcome to the show, my friend. Hi, Mike. Thank you so much for, for having me today. It's, I'm really pleased to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to, to have this conversation. Before I get too deep into it, though, for those out there who may not know you, maybe you can just take uh, 30 to 60 seconds and introduce yourself real quick. Sure. My name is Tom Similian. I am a longtime editorial editor and writer and journalist. I've been covering the consumer electronics and technology space for over two decades through both kind of dot-com booms. And um, I, I've been going to CES for since the late 90s, and I live and breathe this stuff. I spent a good 15 years or so working for consumer audiences, writing for Men's Journal, and I worked at AOL and at Rolling Stone and Men's Journal. And now I work at Dealerscope. I'm the editor-in-chief of Dealerscope.com and Dealerscope Magazine, which is the number one source for B2B consumer electronics, appliance, retailers. We have a website at dealerscope.com. We have a monthly magazine. And so this is more of a B2B beat for me. And so it's been really interesting to get to know some of the trends from the other side, from the way retailers look at it and sales trends and the sort of categories that retailers, whether they're e-commerce retailers or brick and mortar retailers are interested in. It's similar in some ways to what consumers, consumer publications would want, but it's a little more focused on the bottom line, I think. So yeah. And I, I just love I love consumer technology. Excellent. Next time you're in Las Vegas, I I live in Las Vegas, uh, so we should grab a cup of coffee and nerd out uh, about technology. Sounds great. Uh, But in the meantime, we're going to deal with uh, virtually here in this podcast room talking about today. And and I'm like I said, I'm super excited to talk about this stuff because it's stuff I I think about all the time and, and use in my daily life. The first product you had on your list here was earbuds. So let's talk a little bit about what you're coming down the pike with wireless earbuds. Sure. So it seems as though there isn't a day that goes by when a new pair of um, wireless earbuds comes out. It's <laughs> It seems like it's too much, but I think the good thing... Yeah, I have a whole drawer yeah. full of them. <laughs> I think the thing that's really the sort of new thing about them is that the one... It used to be that if you wanted active noise canceling and an array of mics to sort of keep out sound outside, ambient things so that you can hear, an ambient setting so that you can hear noise outside if you want to say, if you're jogging or something outside... And just sound quality 
all of those, the latest Bluetooth codecs, all, all those kind of features used to cost you at least $250, $300. And now the new kind of trend is, especially at CES this year, is that all of those features are becoming just more affordable. So you can get you know, earbuds now for like under $150, $100 that will have many of these features. Also, I should mention you know, smart features like Alexa built in or Google Assistant built in, stuff like that. So that's, I would say, one of the biggest trends around true wireless earbuds. And on the sort of over-the-ear headphone side, that area is a little bit flat at the moment. It's not super, obviously what's out there is great, but the sort of holy grail of technology and features on that would be to really get high-res audio through Bluetooth. And that's something that has that companies are working on and it's, probably, it's imminent, but at the moment, I would say if you're in the market, if you're going to be, there's a lot of availability on true wireless earbuds at all price ranges, especially the sort of more affordable price price range. It really is amazing how far, how quickly this this industry and this niche has gone. I, I'm one of these like 100,000 a mile year flyers and my headphones used to take up like a third of my suitcase just to like be able to drown out the, the noise in the airplane and also my neighbor sitting next to me in the seat next to me because sometimes they want to chat a lot. And now it's just this little tiny case with my wireless earbuds and they perform just as good, if not better than those old over the ear headphones. And it's exciting to hear that the price is going to be coming down quite a bit as yeah, well. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, it's really amazing. I'm, I'm wearing not even a fancy pair, a pair of wireless earbuds. And these are actually like these better than the AirPods. They're these clear Ally 2 or something, I think, but they're just, they just fit better. They're a little more like in my ears. So you can't really tell I'm wearing them. Mm-hmm. And I actually like the design, even though they're, I don't have the price right now, but they're just really, they're not even the, like the fanciest true wireless earbuds on the market. People can go over to Alibaba.com and see what the price is to source those bad exactly. boys. So, yeah. Uh, plug for Alibaba.com. All right. So next, the next product here is uh, e-bikes and scooters. So tell me a little bit about what you're seeing here. Yeah. Well, so e-bikes and scooters, it's interesting. It's not like this area is necessarily brand new, but I think what's interesting is that it's finally becoming something, I think with the price of gas and the, the pandemic, when people needed to find alternative ways to get to the market or work when they did have to go in uh, because they didn't want to take public transportation. So this area has really grown a lot. And it was traditionally an area that was big with like bike dealers, just like people who sold bikes. And mainly because of maintenance, I think was one of the big things in servicing. And what's interesting is a lot of the bigger electronics retailers like Walmart and Nebraska Furniture Mart, and, and a lot of them, they now have dedicated e-bike areas. So it's really a, a new category for retailers that, that, that sell consumer electronics. It's another one of those categories that wouldn't have traditionally been sold by electronics retailers, but now it's really a big thing. And it's a really growing category. It's just continues to grow even after the pandemic. So this would definitely be an area that anyone at Alibaba.com, certainly I would imagine people would be searching for e-bikes. I think one of the challenges might be servicing, but I think even for e-commerce retailers, there are likely warranty plans and things like that. And it would be the same challenges that a traditional brick and mortar consumer electronics retailer would have. So I do think this is an interesting area. The other area is e-scooters, which is another sort of variation on e-bikes. And yep. so these are just like motorized scooters, very popular with last mile transportation. So you would still take the bus, but maybe you would take your scooter like the mile to get to the bus stop. And these, a lot of these fold up. I know my boss actually has one. She takes one, she takes the train every day and then she takes the e-scooter to the office about a mile or two. So those are really popular these days. And then there are things like skateboard, slightly motorized skateboard type things. But I would say e-scooters and e-bikes are two extremely exciting categories. And I really think that anyone who is in uh, the business of selling consumer electronics should definitely hop on that category. And so many new companies are making them and just, it's really, it's very exciting. Yeah. And I think it's a great time to hop on a trend like this because 
Uh, as someone that's traveled the world quite a bit, I look at a place like Amsterdam or when I was in uh, Copenhagen. These are like very bike-friendly cities. These were non-powered bikes. But then I go to someplace like Austin and start to see that kind of spilling over a little bit in, into a city in the U.S. where scooters are being used quite a bit and also e-bikes. They're up in arms with like how they get littered all over the place with some of the sharing versions of those. But I can really see a long-term trend shift in the United States. And this type of thing happens quickly, three to five years or whatever it might be, where these types of products really explode and it becomes commonplace in a lot of urban cores and a lot of, a lot more cities in the U.S. for this to become the thing. I think it's really interesting that you made talk about Austin specifically because I was the cities I lived in Los Angeles up until last August. And there are certain parts of L.A. where right. scooters aren't allowed for the very reason you said. It's, it's really <laughs> right. interesting. And so I didn't. I was like, what a weird trend, whatever. I didn't really get it. It was so interesting to see that trend. But in Santa Monica, where they are allowed and where there are a lot of tech companies, suddenly they were they didn't exist and suddenly they were everywhere, like Lime and those kind of places. Bird. Yeah, like overnight. overnight. It's it crazy, crazy how quickly things change. And I went change. to Austin, I think, two or three years ago, and I was blown away by how many – because I don't live in Austin. I don't know what the public uh, transportation situation is there, but I know they don't have a subway. So – I just was like, wow, how interesting this is truly stepping in. This new form of transportation is stepping in. And actually, I lived in Amsterdam for, for four years, a long time ago. I didn't mention that. That's where I got my okay, start. So, you don't, so, so I know yeah. what, I've always ridden bikes and cities now have more and more uh, bike lanes. I think, again, this is more of a brick and mortar thing, but just, you know, places to park your bike, I think would be huge also. But yeah, no, e-scooters, it's a very exciting category. And I actually do have the stat I was looking for earlier. So according to NPD, Perfect. Sales of e-bikes in April 2020 rose by 92% compared to the previous year. And then they rose, let's see, 681, 600. They, yeah, so they were they rose from, by April 2021, they were up 139% to 681 million uh, versus 2020 for that year. So that that's a huge rise. And the rise from then to now is continually high. I don't have that exact stat, but but we did just feature a story on dealerscope.com about some of the latest trends in e-bikes and why retailers should focus on that. So I feel like it's the thing I talk about all the time is just e-bikes. It's I'm also excited having been in this business for so long just to see how much the the definition of consumer electronics and the definition of technology has expanded beyond just like stereos and headphones and TVs. And anyone who's in this business needs to be aware of everywhere where technology is. It's not just headphones. Yeah, absolutely. This next category is something I'm personally quite passionate about. It's outdoor living. I think the pandemic has probably shifted things a little bit here. I was personally very much a fan of outdoor living before this, which is why we've lived in San Diego and Las Vegas most recently, where you get eight to 10 months a year of outdoor living that you can do. But the pandemic really taught me that even though I used to love to go have outdoor living at other people's patios at like bars or restaurants or whatever, it's actually more enjoyable on your own where you like have your friends come over in your own environment and you don't have to deal with bunch of other people and noise and it's just your thing. And so you create your own environment of speakers and sound or fountains or whatever other things that might be. And I'm, I'm curious what you're seeing in, in this space and can't wait to talk to you about this. Yeah, well, this is also pandemic related, like most things these days or post pandemic. Obviously, people wanted to entertain outside. Uh, it was safer. And people, uh, a lot of the appliance companies they used to make, they've always made appliances, grills and stoves and refrigerators and TVs that are ready for the outdoors, but the demand has really grown with that. Obviously, people doing uh, improvements on their home has really risen. And a lot of retailers, again, brick and mortar, but like they now have outdoor showrooms as well as indoor showrooms. So it's certainly something at some of the trade shows that I've been going to that has been a bigger focus, outdoor tech as just a category that 
retailers who sell that kind of stuff sh- uh, should be into. And that's for a lot of it is for like big appliance, luxury appliance retailers, also on the consumer electronics side, and certainly Alibaba.com side. There are things like Wi-Fi extenders and outdoor routers, and there are like motion sensitive lighting systems. I know Alexa Ring has these kind of really cool outdoor lights that you just put stakes in the ground and they're totally, they don't, they're wireless. Um, outdoor cameras, outdoor speaker systems, even just like a robotic, you know, lawnmower. That's not really for entertaining, but outdoor tech is, people have started to focus much more on the, out, on the outside spaces of their homes. And that's certainly something that there's demand for. And certainly that, again, that I've seen at at trade shows, people talking about that. I literally want to plant some grass in our backyard just to have one of these robotic lawnmowers. Is that a little over the top or? No, I mean. (laughs) Because I've like literally thought about it because we're in the middle of a desert. So we we have fake grass. And the reason we would uh, look to plant real grass is we have a dog. and, And I found that dogs on this fake grass. We won't talk about the, the unpleasantries of that on the podcast, but I've literally thought about, oh, if I put plant grass in this little area for the dog, I can now go get an outdoor uh, lawnmower because we have the indoor robot and use it all the time. I'm thinking now we can have the the outdoor one as well, which I think would be cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. And speaking of dogs, there is, there's also a lot of like pet tech and stuff and tracking like, the dog and fetch with Fio, yeah. one that like throws yeah, the ball. Like wags, like the, uh, yeah. Our friends have the, uh, the fitness tracker. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a Fitbit for yeah. your dog, which I think is hilarious. It's pretty yeah, cool. Absolutely. Excellent. So let's move on to the next category we have here, which is speaking of uh, <laughs> dogs having things on them or people having things on them. What, what are you seeing in, in wearables and, uh, and health sensing? The wearable space has been growing over the past few years, health and wellness tech, just it's just exploding, really. And smartwatches are just getting, there are more options. There are more smartwatches that are really robust for, say, like an over 65 crowd that look cool versus looking like some kind of medical device. Sleep tech is, is another big area. And I guess I would, yeah, so that's pretty much on the wearable side. It's interesting, Sennheiser and Sonova. Sonova bought Sennheiser's consumer brands last year. Sennheiser is a very well-known audio company, headphones earbuds. Mm-hmm. And Sonova is, I think, one of the biggest makers of hearing aid and hearing aid technology. And it's interesting how those two worlds are fusing because Sonova probably wants some of the more consumer-friendly audio side. And then meanwhile, Sonova really works in uh, precise hearing enhancement and stuff like that. So that's really symbolic of what's going on in the, the hearable space, at least. But yeah, it's also devices that maybe would interface with telehealth situations. That's another area that's growing ways in which you can plug something into your computer and then do diagnostics of source and then send them to your doctor in real time, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I, we keep on seeming to tie this back to COVID. It was certainly not the uh, intention, but like uh, telehealth is another one of those niches that really goes to demonstrate like how the world can change. And for me, I, I love it. The thought of being able to get some sort of medical attention, minor medical attention, obviously, like from the comfort of my own home and not having to go wait in a waiting room and hear a bunch of other people cough all around me sounds a lot more appealing than than the alternative. So it's cool that's becoming a thing. And uh, one of the other things you mentioned, uh, which is some of the wearables with sleep, I, I'm, I promise for people watching on the uh, on video, I'm not flicking you off. I have it on my middle finger, but I have one of these rings that that monitors your sleep. And it's been really fascinating just to see those statistics. And I try to make better lifestyle changes based on the data, but it's hard not to drink on Friday night sometimes. And I know that helps make me have restless nights. There's that too. Maybe there'll be a hangover where 
wearable uh, of some kind that helps. A hangover wearable. It'll like things. eject eject uh, something that doesn't give you a headache. There there are pain um, there are pain management wearables. I haven't tried any of them out, but that is an area that is also growing, like, especially for hangovers. But interesting, just for sort of chronic pain and stuff. But that would be something like back to, pain, neck pain, yeah. or something. Maybe you're interesting. Very interesting. So the next thing on your list, I'm a little embarrassed to admit because like I saw myself as this tech guy. But I didn't even know this revolution was coming. It sounds like there's like an uh, HDMI 2.1. I didn't even know there was a 2.0. Uh, for me, an HDMI cable has always been an HDMI cable and didn't really realize things were changing. But what's happening there? Enlighten me. Yeah, well, it's interesting. HDMI, I think one of the confusing things about HDMI is everyone thinks, and I think it, maybe it was pitched this way at the beginning, but that HDMI, that it's all one size fits all, every single cable with this type of input is going to be the same. And turns out that's not actually quite true. And I think anyone who's bought a new TV and has an old HDMI cable, and then they suddenly don't have a picture or something, or has probably noticed that it's hard to, to figure out what's going on there. But the long and the short of it is, if you have a new TV, and you have, say, like a new gaming console, you're definitely going to want to get HDMI 2.1 cables, 2.1, HDMI 2.1, I believe is how they're saying it. But basically, these cables just have more capacity. And they're able to do things like for 4K gaming and high-res gaming, you used to have to only do that. You used to have a dedicated PC monitor in order to get that on games. But now, like the new Xbox and I believe PlayStation and the latest TVs from like LG and Samsung and all these, Sony and all these companies, with an HDMI 2.1 cable, they will enable this kind of high, super high-res gaming capability on a TV. So that's one thing. Also, just more uh, better video processing and uh, color and, and and realism on video and, and all those sorts of things. It's not something that everyone needs to rush and buy like this exact second. It's still a little bit. The first wave of TVs are only really just coming out now, but it's just something to okay. be aware. It's certainly something to have, I would think. To, it would be something to go source <laughs> and maybe something to even explain on a sort of website. What is this? Why do you need it? What TVs do you need it for? Gotcha. When I when people ask me, friends of mine ask me, what TV should I get? I always say, make sure it's like HDMI, HDMI 2.1 compatible and you might want to get these cables just to be future-proofed. So that's what's going on there. But there's, I think there's already even yet another new for, uh, codec or standard, standard right? that's, it always that's introduced <laughs> at CES. I don't know much about it. I don't know that it matters right now, but it's not something to like drop everything and upgrade to this exact second. I, but I do think for retailers, it would be something to be aware of and something to maybe call out for a safe search, whatever you need to do to have people get to your site to your store via search, if they're searching HDMI 2.1 cables, you want them to go to your store. It's something that I imagine a certain set of gamers and other kind of video enthusiasts would be searching for online. Makes sense. So it sounds like it's just like a higher bandwidth version of an HDMI cable to be able to handle the higher definition and, and other aspects of gaming and television. I should also days. mention 4K and I believe 8K. So don't quote me on that, but it's definitely, yes, I should mention 4K content, 8K content. That may be something that you would want to definitely consider HDMI 2.1, 2.1 technology for. Makes sense. Thinking about creating a product from scratch or working with a seller that already has options laid out for you? At Alibaba.com, you can find both customizable products that you can tailor to fit your specifications and ready to ship products that can be shipped out to you right away. No matter your product needs, full-on customization, or inventory off the shelf, Alibaba.com has the right product solution for you. Learn more about customizable and ready-to-ship products and other great tips at buyer.alibaba.com. So switching to a completely different thing, all these have actually been pretty different. The next one on the list here is, is cell phones. I've been an iPhone owner since day one, since version one. 
it feels the the last few versions of this haven't been changing as quickly and or leapfrogging like they were. What what kind of trends are you seeing moving forward? Are we in for any type of big changes on cell phones moving forward, or is it a few more years of the same coming up? I don't know that there's anything super huge and new. Obviously, phones that can take can, can take advantage of faster broadband networks and Wi-Fi six and faster mobile networks, higher resolution phones that can do 4K, 8K video, stuff like that would be something to think about. Higher resolution screens. What about foldables? Are oh, you seeing that's that a great, becoming yes, a thing? Thank or? you for reminding me about foldables. That is a thing that's happening. I personally just, sure, like I, I personally, I find them to be gimmicky and I'm not sure mm-hmm. who wants them. I've tried out several of them. They're cool, but I just think they're clunky. And I think that still, I think they're clunky if they're big. I think some of the small ones, like the Razors right. and the Samsung foldables, those I think could be cool on a sort of fashion accessory side. So I shouldn't fully say, and I think for people who don't necessarily care about ease of use and big screen, but would rather have something that folds and fits in a pocket or fits in purse easily or something like that. I think that for, for those people, it's a return to like the days before smartphones when there were so many different form factors, which was yeah. kind of exciting. I remember when it was cool to have a flip phone, totally, man. Totally. <laughs> it was, uh, it was yeah. awesome. It's yeah. interesting. Like smartphones flattened out design on a lot of levels. Um, but I mm-hmm. think one of the interesting trends in phones, which kind of surprised me is I spoke with the, the uh, CTA, I think at the end of last year about holiday shopping trends. And one of the top five categories for gifts was cell phones, which I thought was so surprising. It used to be like as someone who used to cover technology, like we almost never put cell phones in gift guides because it just seemed like a weird thing to give. You would have to go to one of the mobile carriers and sign a contract. It just seemed like it was a hard thing to just give it, give, and then have someone do whatever they wanted with they're it. They're also like really expensive. expensive. So like right. as a, I mean, if you're buying an unlocked version as a gift, they're, they're exactly. not cheap. But they are getting cheaper and there are some really good full featured, pretty good phones for a lot less, like the sort of budget and middle of middle uh, category what's the word like mid-range right price range phones those have really grown in the last few years so you don't have to own a flagship phone to have a lot of great features and because now there's so many more options there's google fi and mint and i know that comcast has its own or spectrum has its own mobile there's so many mvnos other carriers besides the big three that give you go pay as you go options and just swap out the sim or swap out the eSIM, and you can have a new carrier so I think that's really opened up the the space for cell phones on a broader level. And certainly one of the reasons I would go to an Alibaba.com or any other sort of online store is some of the phones that aren't available in the U.S. There are phones by Oppo, for example, makes incredibly good phones, state-of-the-art phones that just aren't available with U.S. carriers, but they are available. They do work in the U.S. You just need like an unlocked version. They're not necessarily cheap, but that's something that I, as a sort of nerdy tech consumer, will go online to see what sort of phones that are only available in the European market are only available in you know the Asian markets. Like I will buy those phones because they just are cool. And certainly refurbished phones, things like that, those are also. So that's an interesting space to be in, I think. It's, and again, I was surprised, but it was one of the top five gifts for the end of last year, according to the CTA. So that's definitely a category that has legs. Yeah, it's definitely really interesting. You mentioned something I, I picked up on there that I would love to see become a trend, just like these I think you said like full featured mid-tier phones, right? So I'm thinking like the $500 version of the phone instead of the $1,200 version. And one of the things that always has struck me is so weird as I've traveled the world and gone to places that uh, you know are third world countries or impoverished, they still have a freaking $1,000 phone in their pocket. Like people continue to make really poor 
financial decisions all over the world when it comes to buying these phones. And I think that it's a part of the market that's ripe for disruption, like a more cost-effective, economical, but still fully featured phone that will do all the things that you need without getting you like sucked into one of these like $50 or $60 or $70 a month plans where you can renew every upgrade your phone every year because you don't really need it. Like it's a waste uh, financially. And I think that there there is the potential to to disrupt that market. There. Yeah, it's interesting. I bought the new iPhone. Where are we are we with that now? Is it? I think we're on 13. 13 right? So now. I bought the 13 Pro, <laughs> yeah. and it's kind of like Rocky movie. Yeah. we're about, about number 13. It's hard to keep track. And I that's my personal phone. I test out a lot of Android phones, so I'm always like swapping out of phones. Or uh, but the last I, that was an upgrade from the 10, and the 10 was on its last legs. But I wasn't that blown away by the improvements. And I used to be very blown away. I don't know why. I think it's also I've been testing out a lot of really impressive Android phones. I really think Android phones are the most dazzling, to be honest. It's just I do love iOS. I love my Apple stuff. And I love being yeah. with other people. But just hold, I don't like holding the iPhone as much as I like holding, say, my OnePlus you know, 9 Pro or the even last yeah. the the Pixel phone that I had last, you know, not even the newest Pixel phone. Just It's just a more comfortable. I will absolutely admit that I'm in the creature of habit category with the iPhone more than I think it's the best product. It's just, you've been using it for so long and you're used to the iOS and all the other features. And, but I would agree that there's definitely better products on the market. All right. So this next category, this will be a, a fun one because uh, I have some interesting thoughts on this on my own, but where do you see VR in, in the metaverse going? It's interesting. I don't, I don't know to be, I do know, I have my thoughts about it. I, I, I think it's still going to be a while before VR goes super mainstream. It's just making people put stuff mm. onto their faces. Like it's just not a mass market thing. I think even though Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, is all in on that stuff, <laughs> I don't think they're going to make everyone get on these devices. And it's not portable enough. And I think many people are looking to be less immersed, to be honest. So more immersion, which is what that company is pushing, is I don't know if that's necessarily something that speaks to people these days when they're trying to get off of constant engagement on mobile phones and things like that. But today's VR is definitely more impressive than the VR of 20 years ago. It's, there's nothing new about this kind of yeah. VR with a headset. And I, the metaverse is an interesting thing that everyone is talking about right now. I think it's still early days on that. I think even a month ago, I was like, ooh, metaverse, like retailers are getting on it immediately. E-commerce companies are getting on the metaverse immediately. But I don't think that's the case. I think it's still more of a marketing thing right now. It's very much a thing where brands are on there and, and fantastic. It's a great thing. It's a great place to be if you want to show your brand. But it is interesting. There are companies working, and I've written some stuff on, and we did our own podcast on dealerscope.com about companies that are working with these kind of virtual spaces that could be used by educational institutions or retailers that where you could have an online store where people could come and maybe get tech support or get look at products, 3D versions, virtual versions of products in the metaverse. But I think if we think about the metaverse more broadly, it's not just VR. It's not just having to put a thing on your head. It is also maybe just a really good screen on your computer. Could even just be audio. I don't know. There, the metaverse is, it's both the sort of hot trend topic that's being, trend term that's being used right now. And it's also just this broader term about just like a connected, an interconnected sort of virtual space. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it's, if there's any one thing that we've talked about so far that I'm going to go against the grain on, I think it's going to happen quicker than you might think personally. I think it's generational. So you or I probably will never get this. Like, I, I, like how the hell would you want to put a, a VR thing in your face and try to talk with friends or hang out with them in that way versus in real life? But I, I think if there's another 
repercussion of COVID, it's there's a generation of people coming up that are becoming more antisocial. Uh, it was already bad when their faces were stuck in their phone. Now they were stuck in their phone at home without being able to talk to anybody in real life. And it's frightening when you go out and younger people uh, sitting around a table, not talking to each other, they're all, their faces all in a phone. And so I think having their face in the metaverse is, is not all that different. And when I was reading Ready Player One, like it didn't feel like science fiction to me. It felt like this is inevitable, like coming down the pike much quicker than anybody might expect. And I don't know. I think it's, I think it might happen soon. Well, I think the only way that's going to happen, and, and as you say, it may well happen, is through more portable headsets or other ways of accessing mm-hmm. it. Maybe it's through contact lenses. I, you know, I literally just made that up. I don't know if people are working on contact lenses for that. That sounds but, cool. <laughs> you know, probably could at some point, or maybe it's a chip. I don't know. But certainly, even at CES this year, there were smaller headsets that are designed to be portable. So I think if that, and if they were totally wireless and connected, Internet of Things type thing, then I think in that mm-hmm. case, I think. I could see it being more mainstream, um, but inevitably, it's unless it's AR, it's impossible for it. It does take you out of the world. So unless you're just like sitting in a chair and don't have to go anywhere, and you're not in a self-driving car that's taking you there, which you might be in the future, then <laughs> that's probably coming yeah, too. Then it probably, yeah, I, I don't know, but you're right. It's, um, it's interesting that it's being doubled down on and being innovated in a space that's being innovated in in such a big way. It's this is the biggest ever. I've been doing this for two decades. VR is nothing new. But the fact that it's really being turned into this very big mainstream thing is interesting. I think we're at a crossroads of the technology, right? Where you're like talking, like everything else we've been talking about so far on this podcast is things getting smaller, getting cheaper, getting lighter, et cetera. And I I think that technology will get there. And and the VR 20 years ago, uh, while the same concept, it's... I have one of the newer the newer headsets, and the experience is pretty incredible. It's not quite perfect yet. It's not quite where it needs to be yet, but like... I can extrapolate like what will things look like in in three years, and think, man, we're it's close. Like we're close to having that virtual world, which again, I think you or I will never really relate to in the way that another generation will. But I'm not old enough yet to think that that the younger generation is going to come up and like and, and just change things and be different. You just, you see that happening all through history, and I think this will just be the next logical step. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think retailers. I think it is, to not contradict myself, but I think it, it, as, it, as regards e-commerce, right? I think that it's certainly a space that e-commerce, anyone in e-commerce should be watching. Maybe it is a good way to source things without having to travel somewhere, maybe without having to go to a trade show. It also is a space that eventually, there's no way it's not going to be a retail space at some point. Whether everyone is shopping on that space, is an, it, who knows? But it's definitely something that e-commerce retailers should be aware of. It's probably a way to have a store, a digital storefront that's pretty robust. And certainly as technology expands, where 3D versions, 3D images of products and things like that is like a really big thing and, and a big differentiator in terms of sales, online sales, like this might be an area to be just think about in the future as, as a way to cl- close the sale because the products are more demoable or more viewable or something like that. And then certainly on just a products level, it's, as I said, there are smaller VR headsets coming out. And that that should just be growing and expanding over the next few years. Absolutely. Switch gears a little bit because we're starting to run a little bit short on time. I want to be respectful of, of your time. There's so many other categories I can think of in technology that we haven't even touched on yet, like laptops, uh, work from home technology, which, I mean, talk about COVID changing things. Just I think there's going to be a huge shift for that. Air purifiers, smart gems. There's so many devices now at home where the gym has now come to you instead of you having to go to a, a crowded gym. 
I think that there's a big revolution coming in, in the kitchen as well, just all kinds of products around that. But what I really want to focus the rest of the, the, the show on here is thinking about the business opportunities around this stuff. If you're talking about all these different trends, how can people think about the business opportunities, how to pick an electronic product or niche, stay on top of it, stay relevant in something that was constantly changing, maybe some of the trade shows around all this. So let's get into some of those thoughts. In specific, we'll start with where do you see the best business opportunities? I think the best business opportunities in terms of sourcing or in terms of just like generally what e-commerce retailers should be doing to get more sales? I think on the get more sales part, we'll talk about the sourcing stuff. There's obviously a sourcing podcast, but let's talk about the business side and then we'll talk about how to actually acquire the products. I would say that some of the biggest differentiators for even for e-commerce, because first of all, it's like people have to be able to find the product on your site immediately. So I think working on search capabilities and making sure that people or that ads come the right customer at the right time is targeted is obviously huge. So e-commerce, anyone in e-commerce needs to be optimizing the digital tools available to just get people to their store, whether they are actively searching for a product or they didn't know they wanted a product and they suddenly see it and they go to your site. So that's a huge thing. I think that customer service, it's like the oldest thing in the book, but something that a lot of e-commerce, a lot of retailers across the board, but certainly e-commerce, I think it's like low-hanging fruit that a lot of people don't think about. So even on an e-commerce level, just getting back to customers right away, making sure it's not like some voicemail where you have to leave a message. I don't know. I don't know the specific tools for that, but I would imagine there are ways to make, there are probably better chatbots. There are ways to make sure there's always a human there. Maybe there are better FAQs on your site for maybe there are better support. Uh, I think content on your you know site to just explain how something works or just ways where customers are feel like they're not all by themselves. And that's, that's I don't think enough retailers are focusing on that. And I think that's a big way to uh, differentiate, to get an edge. And uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else very specific about that. Supply chain, there's a sourcing podcast. I'm sure you talk about this all the time, but that's a huge issue right now. And I think that just make sure if you can't get the one thing everyone wants, that you have something else that's just like it or something that you can pitch in its place. And uh, yeah, I think other areas like content, just the quality of product descriptions and better ways of looking at products in 3D ways and things like that. All of that is stuff mm-hmm. that is like low-hanging fruit that Many of the more cutting edge e-commerce storefronts are, are working on, and that's something I would focus on. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, one of the things that we've been really talking a lot about in our world is is really just niching down and being like a, a subject matter expert in something much more narrow where some of the larger stores will never be able to compete with you. And so if you, for instance, became the kitchen tech guy or gal, or like everything your site is about nothing but that, one subset of technology where that's all you write about. You're talking about the latest toaster and a lo- lo- the latest like coffee maker and anything else that goes in the kitchen. There's all kinds of, maybe it gets the automated scramble egg pan that'll come out in the future, whatever it might be, but you're really honed in on that. And it allows you to become a subject matter expert in a narrower field so you can stay up to date on a narrower subset of products, but also be much more knowledgeable again than any big box or larger retailer will be. And people are still going to want to research these products and so if they find you through this content of reviews, this this stuff or, or using these products, it's an opportunity to then uh, go and sell them these products. And so that's something that we've really been uh, seeing work quite well in, in our world. I think that's a great point. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's a great point. And um, there is there is room on the internet. It is 
expertise, double down on expertise, because that's what's lacking. That's what the big stores, that's what the big box stores and the big mega one size fits all sites. They don't necessarily have that at the ready. And I think that if you can be a super focused retailer on Alibaba.com or anywhere else, like I think that's where that's where you can capture people will, will flock to that. Mm-hmm. So in terms of sourcing, what are you seeing there? Obviously, Alibaba.com is a great resource to go to. If you're thinking of sourcing these types of products, there actually is something very timely coming up. The Alibaba.com March Expo is coming up, March 4th through 31st. But what are some other things that you're seeing there in terms of places to source, ways to source these types of products in particular? Because there there really is a nuance to electronics, making sure that you're you're meeting any type of standards and importing to the right regions and not just listening to what the manufacturer tells you because they'll sell you something that you can't even uh, sell in your region potentially. What are some things to be thinking about there? I can only speak to the way that I source as a journalist. Like I don't sell stuff, but I tend to do the bulk of my sourcing at COVID really put a damper on that a little bit, but things are starting to open up again. But CES obviously is a huge place where I get, not only do I learn about trends and catch up with people, but I also see all of the new products and see, and I'm always filtering for what's available in the US, like where is it available? And so that's huge. I go to, I'm going to South by Southwest in March. I'll, I'm going to check out the Alibaba.com March Expo, of course, that's new. We go to a lot of the buying group conferences where a lot of things nationwide and um, brand source and other Natum, I think it is. And, but there are tons of these where we just, where retailers go and they see products and they talk to distributors and, and dealers and things like that. distributors and, and manufacturers, vendors and that sort of thing. IFA, which is a big international show in Berlin in August, September every year. I also go to shows like Web Summit and what's it called? Collision in Toronto. And there's a thing this weekend in New York called CanGem, which is just for headphones. There are photo expos. I'm trying to think of other big ones. But these are great places to just get to see what's out there, see what's new. I talk mostly to the PR people, but there are also obviously always the, the sort of people that you would look for. You know, if you're a retailer, those people are also at a lot of these shows. And at dealerscope.com, like one of the things we want to do there is find some of these smaller manufacturers, maybe some of the Kickstarter places that don't, that are trying to get into the U.S. market. I think that's a huge opportunity for Alibaba.com, anyone there, because a lot of these companies, their Best Buy doesn't carry them. Target doesn't carry them. So this is an opportunity, you know, but people still want these cool products. So I think that's an area that we are at dealerscope.com are trying to cover some innovative products that aren't being made by some of the big term electronics companies. And my hope is that people would read our site to find out about some of these cool new products and then maybe carry them in the U.S. So that's a huge thing. That's when I go to CES, there are loads of really interesting products, none of which have distributors in the U.S. necessarily. So that's I think that's an area where like maybe retailers and e-commerce, anyone in e-commerce can help connect the dots. At CES, there's a thing called Eureka Park, which is like a startup area for cool new products. Most of these shows have that now, and that would be an area to go find new stuff. And, uh, and I would just search too. Just I would go to like the CTA's site to see what kind of stats they have in terms of what's selling well. NPD is another organization that you can just get a lot of good stats in terms of what products are selling. And we tend to run that at dealerscope.com. We, we run those kind of studies all the time. And we have a daily newsletter, for example, that where we're always looking for news in sort of sales trends and product categories and things like that. So all of those are areas where you can get a leg up, informationally speaking. But I think to, I think going to things in person does certainly help once that's available again. But that has gotten so good at so many conferences lately that you can do a lot of this stuff online too, like having the very kind of conversation we're having right now, where you can really network Absolutely. online and source online, I would think as well. It just takes a slight 
switch in your brain and then off you go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what we've been doing. It kind of, the, the world's kind of forced us into that. And I think it only makes sense. And realistically, it saves a lot of airfare and <laughs> hotel rooms and a bunch of other things. And, and you do it from the comfort of your own home or office. I apologize. We're already running late. I, I want to ask just a couple more questions, if sure. I may, that I've been trying to talk to a lot of people about. And I know your role is more as a journalist. And so I apologize for, for putting on the spot here. But even as a journalist, I'm, I'm having a feeling that you probably are talking to lots of people and, and seeing things in, in regards to just the supply chain breakdown of 2021 <laughs> and now still 2022. What are some things that you're seeing there and in terms of challenges, but also hopefully you have some wisdoms and maybe things in terms of opportunity? I think that what I am seeing is that it's a challenge across the board for everyone, including the big box retailers. The big box retailers are doing their own, they're leasing their own ships and chartering their own cargo ships and containers and things like that to get around the issue. But it's an issue that everybody has. I think from where I sit, I've seen it, there are different buying groups, I think, that really are looking out for their members, let's say. And so if you're more, I, I would imagine that exists for e-commerce organizations as well. There are, you can band together. Alibaba.com maybe has that kind of, those kind of resources where they can help leverage the, the, the joining of all bunch of different retailers to sort of secure products, right? That's one thing I, that I would imagine is something that anyone in e-commerce should be looking for. I think that one of the things in, over the holidays that a lot of people were talking about was if you don't have the PlayStation, you know, the latest PlayStation, like what else do you have that could be a replacement? It, interestingly, one of the things that were selling, that sold really well over the holidays and that people wanted were just like gift cards. So like subscription cards and like stored value cards. So if the actual product isn't available, this is something that e-commerce, instead of the actual PlayStation or whatever, maybe you have a Sony gift card or something, it's not perfect, but at least people, you have to have something that people are going to buy instead. So in this case, it's like a gift card, let's say, things like that. And I think also resale, old refurbished items and service and better warranties, that's certainly an opportunity for any retailer. And something like if the product doesn't exist, maybe you, maybe the you people repairing the existing product that they have through your store would be an opportunity in this time. Um, those are just some off the top of my head things that I've come across. But I, what I think is interesting about retailers in general is like how much they've doubled down on service and warranties and other things that didn't that aren't about the actual buying the product. They're about everything around the yeah. product and ownership of the product. And they're about long-term relationships with the retailer and a specific retailer. And I think those are all things that everyone should be thinking about supply chain or not. It's supply chain issues or not. Yeah, it is interesting how customer service has come back full circle a little bit because you know, I think about like my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, the stories I would hear from them. And in my lifetime, it's been like, you can almost see it in real time, like customer service just declining, but it definitely has been coming back very much so recently just because you got to compete somehow. And it's definitely an interesting way. So I think that's a great insight. And also the other stuff you mentioned Great stuff. Tom, man, I, I really can't thank you enough for the conversation today. Like I said, clearly I could sit here and talk about this stuff all day. So hopefully next time you're in Vegas, we can chat some more. If people want to uh, find out more about you or what you're doing, what's the best place for them to to go do that and get a hold of you? You could go to dealerscope.com where you know the site I edit is there and the articles I wrote. And uh, you can also just find me on LinkedIn. It's S-Samillion, S-A-M-I-L-J-A-N, first name Tom. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions, I'd be happy to follow up directly. Or you can just email us on at dealerscope.com. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it.
Alibaba.com Sourcing Insights is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry-leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes.